Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host, Abby Martin. And this is your host, Robbie Martin. What's going on, Robbie? Just, uh, just more civil uprisings. Um, well, not going on here in Oakland yet, but uh, in Baltimore. That's what's going on right now. Yeah, Baltimore um, is about an hour and change from where I am in D.C. And, you know, just for people who haven't been following any sort of news, um, a man named Freddie Gray, this is all we know, is that he was running away um, unarmed. Uh, there was no actual justification to chase him or to arrest him. But needless to say, he got arrested by Baltimore police. And between the time that he was actually arrested and the next time anyone saw him, which was when police called the ambulance or dispatched the ambulance, like minutes later, his spine was literally crushed. He was folded into a pretzel and his spine was broken. Um, and he obviously died. So what happened? Um, the police commissioner, oddly enough, is the former police commissioner of Oakland right before the Occupy Oakland protest. They like left and now he's been at Baltimore this whole time. Um, Another interesting thing that's similar to the Oakland situation is just the training of Baltimore police uh, trained next to IDF soldiers and learned all these like Israeli military tactics. This is on the Baltimore police website. So that aside, you know, we're seeing the same kind of um, reactionary presence of police where started off tens of thousands of peaceful protesters taking to the streets, mostly, you know, predominantly black residents. Baltimore's very predominantly black city. It's not nearly as gentrified as places uh, like DC. So there's been tens of thousands of people completely peacefully marching ever since this happened. Zero answers from the police. Uh, The police commissioner said that they didn't think that any crime had happened. No arrests, of course, of the officers involved. So lo and behold, huh? So it's like the ex, so the police commissioner is basically saying it's like the X Files. Like after this guy was arrested, <laughs> he gets like mysteriously crushed in half, like like by like a supernatural force. Yeah, where's the fringe division? Let's. Get I mean, him it's out. Almost, it's like it seriously seems like something in the X Files. Like, like the guy gets arrested and then the police open up the van and he's just like yeah got got like, crushed by like a monster, you know, like ten times his size. I mean, it's it's hard not to point out the ridiculousness of it because. He and they were dragging him into the police van. Right, with right, already right. He's clearly screaming. Broken leg. Right, he's screaming. Yeah, it's awful. It's fucking awful. Yeah, and then and then so and then you have of course people who riot. Um, as Martin Luther King said, he's not gonna. You know, he's dead, of course. But I mean, when he was alive, there were obviously riots going on as well. Um, during the civil rights movement. And he said, "I who am I to condemn rioting? He was like, riots are the language of the unheard. And I'm so disgusted when people just pay attention to these riots and they paint, first of all, they paint every protester with this broad brush as being part of the riots. When in reality, as we know, living in Oakland for so long, that it literally, sometimes it's either police provocateurs, white fucking anarchist kids who like black block people, or... Um, just a few assholes, like a few assholes. 99% of the people are peaceful. It's, you know, and, and, you know, even aside from just the few people who decided to break shit, like black lives matter. It's not my fight. I'm not black. I'm a white, very privileged person. And a lot of journalists are. And so it's absolutely vile to see all these like white 
privileged ass journalists like the fact that they're even in the position of being a journalist in dc is because they were able to have like free internships you know where their parents could pay for them to rise up the ladder where a lot of minorities won't ever have that opportunity because they need to fucking work so it's just like kind of bizarre to see this imposition projected on like black people in general and it's and i don't even know where i was going at that but it's just kind of saying like this is what you should be doing this is the tactics that should be working it's like you know what we're not fucking black and we don't know how it is to be completely disproportionately affected by the justice system by the structural violence that's imposed by the global capitalist crushing monolith that we live under and especially places like baltimore and detroit where you have 60 percent plus i mean probably even like 80 percent Black, 50% fucking unemployed, experiencing the same kind of things as Detroit. Water shutoffs, homelessness, and, and and I'm sorry, but these things do not happen in a vacuum. No, and it's, it's just, it's, it's again, it's like the, it's the same kind of manipulative sort of broad brush tactic of conflating the riots with the actual sort of protest energy. This is the thing is that people are so upset about broken windows. And yeah, even though I think it's it's shitty that people's businesses get affected by this, like it's it's something that like happens because of utter destitute or abject poverty or just being like overly criminalized and militarized. And I've been tweeting all this shit out and it's just really fascinating to see what people respond with because of course it's all this like veiled, not even veiled, just straight up racism. Like you know, I tweeted, um, when militarized police go to war with the community, the community is going to fight back. Like, we need to put some context into why this is happening. And someone was like, well, when, you know, when, like, black people are committing the most crimes, like, militarized police need to police them. And it's like, dude, do you not understand, like, the way that, like, inequality works? Like, do you actually think that the color of your skin, when you are born as a fucking baby with a tabula rasa blank slate, that you're, like, just more prone to be a criminal? I mean... That is the most outlandish thing I've ever heard in my life. It, it's, yeah, <laughs> it really bugs me. I mean, people just see, and I, and I don't think it's necessarily helpful to see it all through this racial lens. I think if you're only seeing it through that lens, you're missing a huge aspect of why and the sort of a historical reasons why like institutionalized mm-hmm, racism mm-hmm. has Exists. existed yeah. and why it's so focused in on the black population specifically. Right. People and idiot right wingers can argue all day about why don't you know Hispanic Americans, why don't Asian Americans protest like this? It's not simply about the the idea that blacks are a racial minority. That is missing such a huge part of the just the, the you need you need so much more context than that and yeah just everybody always will just point to riots you know because that it's one of the most distasteful things that sort of comes out of this mm-hmm, you know besides mm-hmm. people getting like beaten right. by crowds like that kind right. of stuff anybody can agree that that's not you know that's it's not it's bad to see that kind of stuff it's not good for a community when that happens however to just isolate that and say, oh, look at the black people writing. It's just so, it's just like jumping over everything else in between to get to that conclusion. You know? Yeah. And it's it's just, yeah. it's very upsetting. And I thought it's interesting that, you know, we think of like Lyndon Johnson as being this, you know, almost like Dixiecrat, like really kind of centrist, almost right-leaning Democrat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But after the the Baltimore riots in 1968, he said in response, um, what did you expect? 
I don't know why we're so surprised. When you put your foot on a man's neck and hold him mm-hmm. down for 300 years and then you let him up, what's, go- what's he going to do? Right. He's going to knock your block off. Right. I mean, that should be like the more common... I mean, I, I'm surprised that people felt that way back then and mm-hmm. they still don't express those views now because... In a lot of ways, it's only gotten but worse. But Robbie, we live in a post-racial society. That's bro. the thing. It's like, yeah, maybe certain echelons of upper, you know, middle, upper class um, swaths of like America's black population have risen further. But like, you, then you have this this deepening problem that I arguably has gotten worse. Yeah, there are, the people aren't being lynched on trees anymore by the Ku Klux Klan, but it's it's. It's bad. It's worse in other ways. You know, right. just like what Ken Silverstein mm-hmm. was sort of saying about the the state of sort of the our society now that, yeah, women can vote. Black people aren't enslaved. You know, black people mm-hmm. can vote. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gays can marry in certain states. I mean, there's there's progressive things happening that are better, but in a lot of ways it's worse. You know, the gap between rich and poor is worse. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. These things all have to be looked at in one bigger And it's also sort of this framework. bizarre kind of like analysis on not understanding history. Like the fact that we live in a quote unquote post-racial society and people think that black and white people are born with the exact same amount of opportunity and privilege. Because if you go to this, the root of why the systemic injustice incurs and perpetuates, you have to understand how people are born with a disproportionate amount of privilege and continue to be because they are white. Like that is the definition of white privilege that people don't seem to grasp because they get very offended and it's it's just it's just the truth i i could see if we were talking 500 years down the line then of course that wouldn't be an issue anymore you know but we're talking about something that's still very fresh it's still if it's it never (laughs) the problem never went away i mean on in this in a in a lot of ways that little like I think it was the people who did South Park did a little in-between animation in Bowling for Columbine about the history of sort of a really quick overview of history of guns in America mm-hmm. and how like gun ownership, you know, for for on you know for persons like not soldiers or police exploded after slavery stopped in America because people were so paranoid Whoa. about slaves being free. I mean, that's kind of a historical fact. And then that was sort of like the very earliest roots of gun culture, you know, like in the United States. I mean, we we always had sort of this frontiersy spirit or whatever. But I mean, I don't think that that problem ever went away. I mean, it never really did in a, in a larger sense. And then the black population, the African-American population, at, at a certain point decided to be become in some sections more militant Mm -hmm. to fight back aggressively. And in some, sometimes even violently against the system that was oppressing them. And then also sort of organize like a Mm -hmm. militia Mm -hmm. and the things like the black Panthers and the Mm -hmm. the nation Nation of Islam. Islam. Those things I think scared the shit out of white people because it was like, it's like, it was like if they weren't scaring us enough before we were already paranoid, obviously. Right. And here they are, like, actually fighting back against our oppression in a way that seems very adversarial. I mean, very aggressive. But I wanted to read this this quote from this guy who, who writes for The Atlantic. I don't even know his name. I just have his Twitter handle. But it's just a really powerful, and he's black. It's a really powerful quote about the writing. Um, when nonviolence is preached as an attempt to evade the repercussions of political brutality, it betrays itself. When nonviolence begins halfway through the war with the aggressor calling time out, 
it exposes itself as a ruse. When nonviolence is preached by the representatives of the state, while the state doles out heaps of violence to its citizens, it reveals itself to be a con. And none of this can mean that rioting or violence is, quote, correct or, quote, wise. Any more than a forest fire can be correct or wise. Wisdom isn't the point tonight. Disrespect is. And in this case, disrespect for the hollow law and failed order that so regularly disrespects the community. I just thought that was really powerful. That is powerful. I bet David Cipro from does not like the fact <laughs> that someone like that is riding at the Atlantic alongside Yeah, him. yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, but look, I here's... To, I just wanted yeah. to backtrack yeah. back to the what started... I mean, not that what started this whole problem, you know, the whole mm-hmm. larger problem we're talking about. I'm talking about the specific Freddie Gray incident. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's really important. To me, it's it's more of a very clear-cut scenario than the Michael Brown incident. Not to compare all these incidents together... And even in some ways, more so than the Eric Garner incident, at least for me, because first we have video of him being dragged into a police van with a broken leg. Right. Which is awful enough. Which is awful enough. So, so think about it like, you know, like a school, which is legally, they have that custody of that kid and they're legally responsible, you know, like if that kid gets injured or killed from something the school is negligent about, they would be held responsible. Just like the police for that period of time right. had legal custody of this man who was in handcuffs with a broken leg. Legally speaking, the very first thing that they should have done was called an ambulance or had him immediately rushed to emergency room, right? Right. With no, maybe like one police escort right. or something. This guy had a broken leg. What's he? How is he right, going to be right, a threat? Right. Exactly. The fact that he died... Yeah, so even the, even though he had the broken leg being dragged into the police car, even though he had the broken leg dragged into the police car, he he was like it was his spine was crushed after that. So they were beating him inside the the caravan. I mean, they or, did something yeah, to him, or that he or him. that they crushed him like a pretzel as they were pulling him in the car. We don't know. We don't know what happened, but um, it, it sounds like an insane use of force to have to crush someone's fucking spine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can see what happens with like one sort of like punitive, like, like cop, you know, forceful bitch slap kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. you could see in a lot of videos of like drunk people in holding cells. Like there was one from Santa Rita jail where the girl was sort of talking back and sort of, you know, wiggling around when the cop was trying to do something to her. And he just fucking just slams her face plants her on the ground. And you Mm -hmm. hear like the crack of her Mm -hmm. face bones when she hits the ground. Mm -hmm. Of course, she's survived, but I mean, that could kill someone, just right. one of those. So how many blows did it take to literally sever this man's spine and put him in a coma? I don't know. I mean, I can only imagine, you, the only thing you could do that with one blow with would be like a metal, like a crowbar or a baseball bat, right. you know? Right. That's fucking hardcore. It is. I mean, whoever did that, I mean, so to me, it's just, it's like undeniably someone committed like second degree murder. Right. I mean, it's not even manslaughter. No, it is murder. It's, it's just, murder. It's just absurd. It is. Like, because a, a cop can always argue, yeah, he did something, he tried to pull my gun. Yeah, you know, yeah, if they yeah, shoot yeah. someone, it's just so much more like cut and dry to yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. internal investigation right. team. But this is not like that at all to me. It's like, they fucking beat this man to death. Right. It's like, it's just insane. like the Kelly Thomas thing. Like, that, that to me, when people are like, oh, like this asshole today on my Facebook posted a f- some bizarre 
article about Freddie Gray's criminal offenses. And he was like, what about holding Freddie Gray accountable? And I was like, oh, how typical. And I was like, let's see what crimes Freddie Gray committed. Being a black person in Baltimore. Oh, drug possession. Yeah, I guess that that deserves to have your neck severed, your spine severed. Cool. That That's accountability to you. I mean, it, it's just... It's this bizarre kind of coat of arms and protection for law enforcement. And I, I, I also just wanted to throw this out there because we always hear they always ask, where are the moderate Muslims, even though there are dozens and dozens of moderate Muslims, which is absurd in the first place that Muslims even think that they need to speak on behalf of extremist assholes who are committing terrorism. That's sad in itself, but we constantly hear that after every single terrorist attack that involves anything remotely Muslim, where are the moderate Muslims? Where are the fucking moderate cops? Where are the moderate police coming out and decrying this institutionalized unaccountability and rampant murder? If I were a police officer, I would be devastated. I and you and we know how strong police unions are. It's not like they're prevented from their lieutenants or or I don't really know how it works within there, but I mean, I, I just don't understand why all of them protect each other and why this is just okay. Cause if I were a cop, I would be horrified. Well, and that's why people are painting all police as the problem. It's for the same reason you never see, or you very rarely ever see, unless they're trying to make some kind of career out of it, and I'm not going to mention any names specifically, but it's like you rarely see anybody from like inside the Pentagon or inside the military or inside the, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. even the Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, how little people over the years have actually really spoken out against the system besides Dennis right. Kucinich and Ron Paul. Right. And that's over like a fucking 20-year period, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, Alan Grayson... I don't really like buy his Sanders. whole ordeal. I think yeah. he's a little bit of a phony. Sorry, Alan. But, I mean, yeah, I won't t- say anything about anybody else who's a so-called, you know, anti-establishment person on the inside, but that's, it exists in all these institutions. But yeah, it's, you would think since like police are paid less, you know, they're probably more disgruntled, they probably get lower benefits that more of them would come out and speak out against it. But I think it's like, that goes back to the, just the old adage of the mm-hmm. good old boys club. And even, you know, those more like, you know, uh, the, all the seventies movies that you would see about cops where it was like all of them were on the take. So if you, if you, you know, tattle on the fact that one of your, uh, your partner is on the take, then he'll, he'll just, you know, everybody's on the take. You right. were on the take. Right. You know, you pocketed that. You did this. You it's tri- like it's like that kill club in Afghanistan, that group. Do you remember this? That group of soldiers who killed for sport. And one of the guys who came out was like, I mean, they're like, thank God they're in prison for a couple of years. I can't so imagine. Afghanistan. Yeah, it was in right. Afghanistan where, where basically it was like a club where they would literally go to villages like my lifestyle and execute children and, and women and probably rape them too because they're sadistic pieces of shit. But this one guy who got somehow wrapped into this, he was said that he was threatened. Like the guy who was the ringleader was just like, you need to do this otherwise. Like you're already implicated in all this, man. Like you got, so he like made him, I mean, obviously you can't make someone kill someone, but he pretty much did because he was like, you're all, you're already like in the club, dude. Like you got to do it. This is like part of the initiation. So he ended up like killing this person. Yeah, and, it's like peer pressure. Yeah, and I think that that's how cops operate too. It's like you're not going to be the cop who's going to stand up to the other cops. No, 
course not. You'll be first of all, you'll be fired. Look at what happened to Ray Lewis, that poor little Occupy cop who came and marched in his uniform from Philadelphia. He was a captain, and he got his pension pulled. <laughs> he got fired. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, so you know, I mean, he was protesting. So that was a little bit more beyond that. But but yeah, it's it's just mostly a rhetorical question because it's just showing the absurdity of that logic and then also the absurdity of the fact that like, you know, on one hand, we expect Muslims to apologize for a few extremists. But on the other hand, no one is pointing that out about police when this is actually like they should be apologizing. Like police actually should be stepping up and saying, hey, we we. We're, we're trained differently like this is un- unacceptable or like police captains should be getting together and like making statements or press releases or, or something yeah and i would prefer yeah like press releases and statements are good but i would prefer them to actually have like a nuanced you know intelligent discussion with the public about it right oh, like of course. hold court and have like town hall kind absolutely. of things absolutely but like that are like televised where they're actually like open up a dialogue with people roundtable discussions about you know, what, which one of these incidences is, in your opinion, like, you know, completely overstepping? What's the, what are the discussions like internally in your department? You know, what are the discussions around America internally in police stations? Are Mm -hmm. you guys taking the approach to militarize yourself and protect yourselves even more? Or are you trying to interface more with the public and have the other approach where you're actually trying to soften sort of your approach? Maybe it's contributing to it. I haven't really seen that kind of like really honest open discussion because it's all about police just pretending like they're just doing this to protect people. You know, that's what they'll always say. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but I mean, it's, I don't want to go too info warsy about this, but it all points to the same thing that there is a widespread preparation being put into place and it's been put into place even before nine nine eleven for a mass civil uprising that could potentially of happen course. in the United States. It's well, of a course, failsafe. Yeah, the Minerva Project, Nafiz Ahmed, um, who's now a journalist getting funded by Patreon, but he wrote this whole series of papers about the Pentagon's Miner- Minerva Initiative, where they've been doing all of these, like, they've been basically doing all of these studies funded by some think tank in conjunction with a think tank to study social unrest and, and uh, prepare for it and analyze all of these, like, different trends and apply all the things that have happened in the Arab Spring and stuff and like project them here. That's already happening. And then on, on aside from that, there's this crazy military drill that's going on, I think right now in like 12 states, I think it's called Jade Helm. And it's where all these like militarized police are going to embed themselves and pretend like there's like real events happening where they're going to do like, like real drills, like real time and make people all scared to see how they can like react. Um, yeah. I, I mean, mean, all of that's to, you know, all of that is part of it. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with the Infowars is they reported on a lot of this stuff that was real, you know, but like Alex Jones would always paint it as they're coming to get our guns. They're coming to target the militia groups, which, you know, is kind of it. the militia groups part is true on a certain level. It's understandable. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not conspiratorial to think that the government would be targeting and even trying to predict who you know they randomly pull over and stop some you know in random places in Colorado and places where these people sort of hole up they probably do sort of watch out for who's a, mm-hmm. who's going to be like one of those militia guys who might be armed who is going to like know all mm-hmm. the constitutional rights like like you know encyclopedic knowledge of like all of his rights um but now i think it's changed like back then 
um, when that was stuff was sort of circulating in the fringe media in the nineties and in the early aughts, that stuff was seen more only targeted at these fringe groups, eco-terrorists, militia people, you know, radical activists. But now it feels like the police are preparing for every, everything, like everything, like the shit hitting the fan across the board. Like that's all it just, that's what it seems like to me. And I don't want to sound apocalyptic or, you know, fear but I mean, the police just don't seem like they have a real strategy to deal with the no, real problem. No, and this is not going to stop. I mean, this <laughs> no. is just going to erupt in different cities. Oakland, Ferguson, Baltimore, everything that police are, go- every time police do this shit, it's going to happen. Um, and another thing that really bothers me is the tear gas situation, like, why is this accepted? Why have we just accepted the fact that militarized riot cops in fucking riot gear, they are in gear designed to deal with riots specifically shields. I mean, even a brick being flown at your face, they have, they're totally covered head to toe in stormtrooper gear designed for that kind of stuff. Even if you fucking throw like a Molotov cocktail at them, they won't really get hurt, you know? But then, of course, they bring out all these like chemical agents and rubber bullets that can kill people. We've seen time and again, people, it can cause miscarriages. It can actually kill you, suffocate you. All of these different instances all across like Bahrain and Egypt where tear gas has killed multiple people. And then look at Scott Olson being a projectile at his face, point blank, and now he has brain damage. And I, it just really bothers me that that's even justified. And I, I think that people just need to question every element of the response and just put it into perspective because I found this out um, and I was, it was shocking to me that tear gas is actually internationally banned. Like the U.S. military can't even use tear gas against ISIS. It's an Whoa. internationally banned agent of war under the 1993 Chemical Weapons Convention. But the U.S., of course, it all goes back to the U.S. The U.S. carved this caveat out of the con- the convention to apply it for domestic riot control. That's so really they So it would have been like a banned agent everywhere. But because the U.S. wanted to have riot cops use it against its civilians, then other countries like Bahrain and Egypt were able to use it too against their civilians because of this U.S., Clause, isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. It is. It really is it's amazing. An incredible little like tidbit. I mean, it kind of makes sense in a way that they would try to have some weird technicality that, yeah. like, all chemical warfare, you know, like like that the chemical weapons ban treaty or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that's a really funny loophole <laughs> that, that it's banned internationally for war. Right. I mean, I now that I think about it, I can't think of a single time where I have ever seen it used in war. Yeah. Actual. Um, tear gas I always just go back to I keep talking about the two-tier justice system but until we criminalize and prosecute white bankers and politicians for looting billions of dollars and destroying people's lives and generations of families then I'm not going to get outraged about black people looting like I'm sorry I mean have the same moral outrage everywhere yeah as long as I mean if there are more let's just say if they if they arrested and jailed more people than just like Bernie Madoff and Ken Lay, you know, like, yeah. Like if they, if it was more than just like a, a like a ritual every decade that, that happened, mm-hmm. then that'd be great. You know, if a justice system actually functioned, um, the way it's theoretically supposed to, you know? Um, but of course it doesn't apply uh, really at all. Um, 
And it was, it's been so funny to see the media coverage of this. And I wanted to get into this NBC Richard Engel story, um, segueing off the media, because everything else is kind of themed that we want to talk about. But it's so interesting. I was watching the live stream and it's really hard to find, unless you're watching just literal live streamers, like straight up citizen journalists, then it's fascinating to see this coverage real time of these so-called, you know, establishment journalists. And and they were covering the kids yesterday who were like throwing rocks at the cops. And they were like, this is horrible. This woman, this woman was just like, oh my God, are the police okay? She was like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? And she was like, oh my God, oh my God. It was so insane. You're looking at like, like the live stream is like probably like 500 police and like a couple kids like throwing rocks at them. Was she media? Yeah, no, it was like it was like in the studio. So you're watching oh the live stream, God. but then you like heard the reporters commenting, and it was just wow, unbelievable. So it was so funny. So it just shows you that just this complete disconnect of why things are happening, how they're happening, and then you hear something like the Richard Engel story, who's one of NBC's top journalists, top war correspondents. Every time I look at the TV, there's Richard Engel on the ground, um, and he had this story for a long ass time, as many people do about Syria. You know, we have that guy from Vice. We have a lot of different stories. Actually, that was Ukraine. Sorry. But a lot of different stories, obviously all like the, the horrific beheadings by ISIS and all these people who got kidnapped. And Syria is just a really dangerous place to be if you're a humanitarian aid worker or a journalist. Like I would never go to Syria if you paid me a million dollars. Um, and the only reason people like Moaz Mustafa can go there is because he's working with the CIA and probably very protected. So Richard Engel, for the longest time, claimed that he was kidnapped, literally kidnapped for days by Assad forces, (laughs) Assad forces. And I'm sure everyone who listens to the podcast has been paying attention to the entire shit show that is Syria and the fake, just completely um, manufactured propaganda. A, the chemical weapons thing. B, Netanyahu lying about like, you know, just all like hyping all of this stuff up. Um, the fact that, you know, these chemical weapons inspectors were in Damascus the day that Assad launched this attack. You know, I don't even know. Like, it's one of those propaganda wars that there's another proxy war going on between Russia and the U.S. Where Russia's funding Assad. The U.S. is funding these jihadist rebels on the ground. It's very hard to tell what's true because of how dangerous it is and also because of how much misinformation is purposely put out. And then, it, and then it comes to Richard Engel. But we're used to the misinformation from the State Department. But when NBC claims that he was kidnapped by Assad forces and then it later comes out that he was actually kidnapped by the fucking rebels that the U.S. is arming, and then NBC lies on behalf of a journalist. This is a crime. People are dying. This is not a joke. This is not Brian Williams lying about being shot down in a helicopter. This is fucking war propaganda that destroys lives. This is similar to the Iraq war shit. This is and I get really Jessica angry Lynch. about it. Straight up Jessica Lynch style. Completely manufactured, designed to manipulate our emotions. And I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to the chemical weapons thing because I'm not saying that that wasn't a horrific attack, but at the same time, I, it still doesn't make sense to me. But there that, was no proof. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense to me that Assad, after be, I, I combed through all the media footage of Syria, even leading up to the chemical weapons attack. This is the strangest thing, Abby, and I still can't make sense of it. There was a week worth of media coverage leading up to the chemical weapons attack about how Assad was going to launch a chemical weapons attack. Literally. No. 
they were covering it for days, saying that who they're, was they're, the CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They were running pieces Whoa. saying that they're preparing a chemical weapons attack. And we don't know when he's going to launch it, but if he does, then the U.S. is going to get really upset. That's the red line. What they in were the already hell? like they were already setting the stage for him crossing the red line. Is basically what I'm saying. So any person, and that's why I'm that's why I'm like when I watch videos of Putin talking about this, just that in a vacuum, everything Putin is saying is completely right about this incident with the chemical weapons. That why would Assad do that? Like, why was the U.S. media? I mean, he even talks about the U.S. media just, like, sort of conditioning people for it and stuff. He goes through all of it. And, like, I just think on the surface of all of it, it was clearly manipulative. Oh, it was that totally was, manipulative. That was, that was their George W. Bush moment. And they didn't even want to find the perpetrators because they never no. even questioned it. It was just immediately, it was like, well, this is the red line, he crossed it. And everyone was like, how does this make any sense? And it's not just the media. It's this. It's these FSA right. rebels. I believe, from what I, everything I've read about them, everything I know about them, they're, they were not even close to the main contingent of the rebels when they first started. A lot of the Syrian rebels were somewhat more on the extremist side and a lot of them were actual syrians a lot of the fsa rebels are actually imported like middle class um uh people who want to take part in a fight that they're not really invested in no and it's really and it's really sad because i get people all the time who are very upset at me for not like supporting the no fly zone and stuff and and a lot of them are syrian and i feel for them because i know that this is their revolution that has been co-opted it really has and it's really really sad to say but i you know it's just too bad it's too bad because i obviously like the people are the ones who are the real losers like the fucking actual syrians who don't want to be caught in the middle of this bizarre implanted proxy war no i mean it is one of I mean, besides Ukraine, it is definitely by far the most convoluted right. of all of, like the modern propaganda because it just keeps changing. It keeps shifting. It's very opaque. We I don't understand even now. Are we going to go overthrow Assad? I mean, because obviously the Syrian rebels they keep hinting to it. The, the FSA themselves obviously wants us to, the U.S. to do that. Of course. And who would be benefit the most from a chemical weapons attack? The right. rebels would, because right. then the U.S. would send the weapons to the rebels, and that's kind of what happened. Like, the voting to do that was probably, you know, helped by that attack. And it's just, and I can't prove that the rebels are behind the attack. I don't even know if they were. No, but, but it's I just, just none, of, none of it added up, and, and there was no proof given. It's like, if the establishment was so sure it was Assad, I don't, I, I don't understand where the, like, how, exactly. why would it be so hard to prove? Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. They're so sure out of the gates, and that's right. what's automatically suspicious. I don't give a fuck what proof they have. Just the fact that they come out so confident right. from the very moment, thats they're trying to wage an information war. Yeah, and then, and then there's really like, is. I'm sure that you've seen these memes, and they really upset me, because it's like designed to tug at the heartstrings of like people who are like Palestinian activists and stuff who are not, you know, who are more questionable, rightly so, about the Syria thing and are not just supporting FSA privatized CIA armies. Um, Because there's like this meme going around and it's like, 
when you see this dead child, do you have to know that it's from Gaza or Syria before you're outraged? And and at first I was like, oh, that's a, like an interesting point. And then I was thinking, you know what? No, fuck that. Because I'm sorry, but the Syria thing is, I don't know who killed the kid. Did the rebels kill him or did Assad kill him? At least like in Gaza. Rogan, that's like a Josh Rogan yeah. constructed. Yeah, it's like at least in Gaza, we're shit. like, no, actually is Israel killed them. I'm pretty sure that neocons. the Israeli bombs killed the Gaza child. But in Syria, it's like, you know what? I don't know. Because we have, we're funding rebels on the ground who are so psychotic that they eat hearts and are beheading people just the same as ISIS. So it's a little bit hard to tell what and what hands that child did die at. Sorry. It's it's a fucking propaganda war. The neocons are are using liberal propaganda to get liberals sucked into this shit. That's exactly what you just described. It's pulling the like the heartstrings of the empathetic person. Mm-hmm. To want to go into war. They already have the side covered that's just like, yeah, let's go fucking kill those, you know, rebel or whatever. Like people who are just already, who just knee jerkishly go to it with any military uh, adventure. They're just trying to cover the other side of it. And it's so, it really is kind of sad when you think about it that, you know, we've talked before about how we believe that Russia was a slightly responsible for clouding not not even slightly more than slightly clouding the the information avail or just whatever information was available about the Ukrainian crisis in the atmosphere they were responsible for clouding that up a little bit so it was the US media clearly mm-hmm. but in terms of Syria i'm sorry but i'm i mean i'm not sorry the united states is 100% responsible um in my opinion for completely clouding that narrative up so much and manipulating the the narrative to try to get us to go to war with Syria for so long that I can't trust anything now. I mean, I feel, that's how I feel about it. It's very hard for me to trust anything. Well, it's hard to trust whenever the U.S. funds rebels. I mean, that well, that, too, that is yeah. outrageous. And that, that is like immediately prima facie, just, I don't even know what that's the term, but completely all going to end badly. So it immediately makes me distrust everything that the U.S. is putting out there about Syria if they're like tr- funding crazy terrorists on the ground. And they're not even like, and that's the thing, like there's most of these neocons who are still going out there uh, talking about Syria and trying to overthrow Assad. They're still mad that Obama dra- dragged his yeah. feet on that. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And he apparently, Hillary Clinton, I, and I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, was the one who sort of outed Obama as the, apparently the one who decided not to go um, you know, bomb Syria. But Robbie, she has to line. play the game. Don't you understand? She has to pretend like she's not liberal. She has to pretend like she's a psychotic neocon war hawk so she can get elected and then she's going to be super good, just like Obama. Don't you think that? I mean, I think what's happened, <laughs> it's... Man, yeah. It just, That's just what really I'm, I'm just... I'm repeating what uh, the logic that I hear every day. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, the people are mental gymnastics. Def- yeah, oh, people absolutely. Yeah, it's Absolutely. weird. It's weird. Well, I mean, let's 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 see if Robert Kagan actually does consult with her campaign. Of course he will. I mean, if that happens, that would be pretty amazing. Yeah. So I mean, if the neocons actually go to bat for her, that would right. be amazing. So just closing up the Richard Engel thing, what's really amazing about it is that no one talked about it. The Brian Williams thing was all over the news. Why? Because it was easy because it was humiliating and journalists love to make fun of him because they they like to pretend that they're holier than thou like oh you're a horrible journalist 
The Richard Engel thing is much more damaging, much more disturbing, because NBC is not funded or run by the U.S. State Department. So you tell me why NBC would be actually not only like obfuscating information, but literally lying to promote a war narrative, like knowingly lying. At least I'm sure that there were multiple instances during the Iraq war that they were just reprinting government press releases, but this is actually more sinister than that. And that's what everyone should ask themselves. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's gotten to the point. I mean... Uh, it's gotten to the point now where it's, it doesn't feel like it's just the corporate influence no. over these people. It doesn't feel like it's just the editorial, you know, sort of pressure, you know, whatever the line is there, like internally the self-censorship. It doesn't feel like it's just that. I'm, I'm just going to say it. It does feel like this is stuff that's directly being piped in, like by either people who are you know, CIA people who are sort of just pl- that their role is to just sort of pipe things into the media Remember this whole retired general scandal that like the mm-hmm. media was like, oh no, guys, we were tricked. Remember all those right, generals right, right. who came under there, like, that, that fucking weird thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, something like that, but like that's just going on all the time. You know, people I, who are being paid. I honestly paid. feel like it's this is uh, this is what I feel like. What's their job to do this? Right. You know, I feel like people war. like Richard Engel and NBC like are scared. Like, can you imagine being in that position and you're like, look, just going back to like the Rand Paul incident that I had where I was surrounded by bureau chiefs saying we've worked for decades to get this access. That's what it comes down to. The access and the friendships. All these journalists, look, it's perfectly exemplified in the White House Correspondence Center that just happened last weekend, where it is probably the... It's the antithesis of what journalism should be. You're going and having a giant circle jerk with politicians, with all these establishment journalists, and you're just praising each other and and colluding. And I think that when it comes to something like NBC, they are they are so embedded and entrenched and and ingratiated with the establishment that they can't even put out a story that bucks the war propaganda that the establishment's putting out. That's how pathetic the fourth estate has become at least I mean, in my opinion and that's that's almost like giving them i mean that's like giving them a lot of credit in a way to say that cuz that like that they're scared you know that it's like understandable that people would be sort of it's scared it's understandable it's disgusting but, it's well, a it disgrace is disgusting. but i but i think that i think that there is it's total speculation <laughs> we're just going to throw out this this idea that you know this peter pomeroy stuff guy that you know, in the the Mark Ames interview mm-hmm. I did, we talked a little bit about this guy sitting next to Liz Wall at this hearing. Yeah, so first which gonna... tell everyone what this hearing is. Okay, wait. Let me okay, just okay. really quickly. I'll, I will I, right after okay. I finish this thought because I just, I'm going to forget it. But I, I mean, okay, Russia Today, you know, the whole concept mm-hmm. of Russia Today, what we, what, what the U.S. characterizes Russia Today as is a propaganda machine or mm-hmm. whatever, which is a bullshit characterization in, to, in most respects. Um, I think that the United States sort of reflexively went back into this Cold War mindset and not just the government, but also the media who were, they were around during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. They were all, I mean, go back to like Cold War era media stuff. And it was, it was really bad, mm-hmm. really propagandistic. You know, and that and that's when not only Russia but the U.S. were doing psyops on each other, like actual psyops. I mean, in the most literal sense of the word. 
and I don't know how, you know, how the media is so able to put out this propaganda and how it's so, you know, but as, as we've keep talking about this, it just, the idea of it being convoluted and confusing just comes up again and again and again. And I don't think that that's an accident. I don't think it's just because we're flooded with all this new information from the internet. I think that this is sort of, this is sort of the new way, like to wage this sort of fight is to make it really confusing, to make it hard to take a side. Well, that's exactly what we've said about the Russian performance artist guy. Exactly. Do you want to talk a little bit more about who this guy is? Because I think Mark and I think that you've explored a little bit more since we last talked about him on the podcast. Peter Promorostov? or the. But that's not the. That's not the. No, you know, no. honestly, I have to look more into that. Okay. The, the actual avant-garde artist guy is not is not who. Um, we talked most about what, what we did talk about was the guy who sort of, so it goes back a few steps. Yeah, tell, so, break it down. Okay. So Adam Curtis did a special a few months ago. It was like 15 minutes, I think about sort of the brief history of Putin's rise to power. And in this little special he did, which was accompanied by a, a longer sort of more in-depth article. Um, he cites some of the references he uses. He cites a guy named Peter Pomorostov, an author. Um, and he also cites Mark Ames, the writer for Pando Daily, um, who's written a lot of great stuff about Russia. So this is Adam Curtis citing in his references sort of an article underneath this video special. And in the video, he talks about an avant-garde artist that was um, consulting for the Russian government to help them wage propaganda wars on the population. And the reference that he uses for that is Peter Pomorostov, this author, who it turns out is actually a guy that I didn't even link the names together, but he's the same guy that had attended all these neocon think tank talks like years ago. And he was most recently at the Foreign Policy Initiative yearly uh, conference. And so I was, when I was talking to Mark, I was like, oh my God, that's the same guy. I was like, I couldn't believe that, you know, that Adam Curtis had referenced this author who I sort of thought this whole time was just a really clever writer who happened to be a neocon propagandist, kind of like Sam Harris, like really intelligent, really makes a really convincing sounding argument. But at the same time, you get this sneaking suspicion that the whole time he actually is just a neocon propagandist wearing some kind of like fake liberals clothing or something. Do you know what I mean? Right. So, and Liz Wall recently testified to a hearing at Congress hosted by Ed Royce, who was another guy who spoke at the Foreign Policy Initiative. Um, and they had her, a woman from the Heritage Foundation, which is kind of a, it's not a neocon thing, it's more like a liberal interventionist think tank, and Peter Promorostov. So Liz Wall, <laughs> RT, former RT reporter, sitting next to this like extremely well-written, like eloquent British author, to discuss Russian propaganda to Congress. This is actually a thing that happened. She mm-hmm. testified to Congress. I just looked at the PDF of her signature signing that she was going to tell the truth. It was like her little oath to the hearing. It's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but she talks about you in the hearing indirectly multiple times. She's extremely upset still about the Max Blumenthal, Rania Kalik article uh, that they wrote about her resignation being stage managed by neoconservatives um and she just goes off the rails it's an extremely interesting performance because she's very well coached 
she's um, got a lot of talking points down, but she doesn't have very much to say. When she runs out of the talking points, she just kind of keeps repeating herself. Yeah, and like for a broken who, record. Uh, we'll link to the previous podcast that really breaks all this down, but really briefly, Liz Wall um, is so dumb that I don't even think that she knew. I mean, she is so stupid that when Jamie Kirchick coached her through this whole like quitting RT spectacle, she didn't even know who he was. She just wanted the publicity. She just kind of linked up like inadvertently with these neocons. But now, and so she thought it was like always so crazy. She was like, I'm not a neocon. Like what? That's a conspiracy theory. But now look at her. Year later, she actually... I mean, she's had a year to be coached, so I guess it shouldn't be that impressive that she can hold or string a sentence together. But now she is the embodiment embodiment of a huckster shill neocon. I mean, she is literally testifying to the State Department about the weaponization of Russian media with like like you know and like quoting the guy who run who's the broadcasting board of governors dude who compared russia today on par with isis and boko haram as a threat these are the people that she's like in the fold with now so if she wasn't before what those people had accused her of being based on the evidence that she had been working with jamie kirchick and these other like performance artists like assholes then what do you call her now I mean, she's like the biggest shill alive. Literally. It's I unbelievable. Mean, it's, it's either extreme unawareness of what's going on around her, or it makes me, I mean, I guess a better way to say it is if I came into this now without knowing anything about her and someone was like, hey, check this person out, Liz Wall, who's a former RT reporter, you know, spreading, talking about the Russian propaganda. Now it's bad. And they were like, but I think there's something weird about her because, you know, I read this thing that said that it might have all been stage managed or something and she might have been working with some neocons. If I had watched that testimony just by itself, Mm -hmm. the whole thing, and I had read their article, I would totally think that it was 100% true Mm -hmm. just without knowing anything else that like have coming into it with no other context because she like just totally proves it by testifying at that hearing right it's just the weirdest fucking thing ever it's like she fucked herself that's the funniest thing like that's that's giving her credit making her think it was totally naive or maybe she just embraces this role now yeah because it's the only role she can be she can't Mm -hmm. get a job because she's so bad i remember my friend who was working at cnn when Liz came on and was bumbling around with notes for some odd reason. I mean, if you think if you quit for some sort of like moral outrage that you wouldn't need notes to explain why you quit. So she had all these notes and she's bumbling around and Anderson Cooper's interviewing her. And my friend who works for CNN, I just found this out a couple of weeks ago. She was just like, yeah, after that interview, Anderson Cooper was like, that was the worst interview we've ever had on the network. He was like, that was the worst interview I've ever done. Let's never nice. get her on again. Nice. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, that's at least it wasn't just me who thought that she was unbelievably pathetically bad. Well, it makes me even question that that other guy that Lawrence O'Donnell, like if Anderson Cooper, you know, yeah, a guy who admitted he 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 applied for the CIA once, like a guy who just Mm -hmm. not he's not like hold up as like some, you know, held to some standard like he's a good journalist that he thought that. Right. What does that mean about people like that guy, Bryant Seltzer and Lawrence O'Donnell, who like totally fell for a hook, line, and sinker? Oh, it's super sad. That makes them look fucking pathetic. Oh, my God. That's really sad, dude. Oh, my God. Super sad. That's like, 
that's sadder than Eli Lake almost. No, I think it's as sad as Eli. <laughs> think, okay. <laughs> it's on the same level, yeah. But this, but the hearing is actually really disturbing because aside from just it being so sad, she is so obsessed still about that article that Ronnie and Max wrote. I mean, it's, it is absolutely insane. Like she indirectly just rants about how people there's a conspiracy theory of russian trolls online who are in a cult and like indirectly saying that like i'm a cult leader and that anyone who questions the establishment's in a cult and that it's a very dangerous cult and it's just it's unbelievable yeah 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 and then i just thought of something else too like the real thing i mean let's just be honest here the person she should be the most upset at if she really was naive about this whole thing is fucking Jamie Kerchick, because why would she tell him first of all, before she did it, she could have just given him the exclusive afterwards. Right. Of course. And then why would she, I mean, but she should be mad at herself for doing something that dumb, you know, if she, but I mean, because she he told her to do it, she should have looked into him right. if she really was dumb enough to not realize what he was doing. Or he should have been like, um, you know what? If I announce this, people might be like, you know, people have like called me a neocon. Like maybe like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like if he was like a nice person, he should, like should have warned her that like I'm fucking associated with some really bad people. <laughs> like, Here's two points. A, she did know who he was because all she knew about him was that he was the guy who trolled RT with the rainbow suspenders. So she knew perfectly well. And I wrongly he thought was he was a guy. liberal. And I wrongly thought he was like a liberal yeah. activist too when I first, that's how I first heard of him. Yeah, so exactly. Like, so, so that shows you that she literally did no research aside from that specific incident. Yeah, I feel like Jamie Kirchick like wanted to use Liz, obviously, and, and they weren't friends. I mean, he used her to do that. And so, of course, he's not going to say, by the way, this is like going to look bad for you later. He does this to troll people so that's what he did he did it specifically to do that he wanted to garner the attention he probably just wasn't thinking ahead and being like oh shit like maybe i shouldn't have treated that before but then again he doesn't care about the facts that come out later all he cares about is hijacking the initial narrative because he knows that there will be enough stupid people who will never follow up and we see that time and again a well, vast majority of people probably think that liz wall is fucking great and they don't understand anything that really happened and that's the it, whole point yeah, and I like how Jamie Kerchick's only explanation, like the thing that directly ties the whole thing to him stage managing it, or like other people at the think tank stage, stage managing it, is that the social, is that the Twitter account tweeted about it before it happened, mm-hmm. and his only explanation was that, oh yeah, I was just like running like the social media that day, and I just like got excited about it, and we were like excited about mm-hmm, it in the office. Mm-hmm. It's like really, you don't think that was designed to send like a message and almost like as a promotion for that think tank, right. then why wouldn't you just do it on your own Twitter? Right, account? exactly. That's what's so funny about Jamie Kerchick is that he's he, using like the craziest warhawkish thing, like yeah. Twitter. It was like an ad. It right. was like free advertising. They wanted to get promoted and we're fucking, this is the thing that sucks. We're promoting them. No, yeah, totally. Totally, dude. And then I just love the fact that at the same time that's happening, you know, and I'm like harassing FBI like all the time. Like you just randomly run into Kim Kagan. Yeah. Walking around. Kim yeah. Kagan, who is Robert Kagan's sister-in-law, who's also the head of her own war think tank, who fucking was the architect of the surge in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. So I saw Insane. DC 
I, I see, you know, politicians and stuff all the time. And when you see them, you have to go troll them real time. And so I was <laughs> at dinner with my mom and my friend and I saw Kim Kagan and I only knew who she was because my brother had sent me her picture and he was like, this is Robert Kagan's sister. So I just was staring at her and I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Our sister-in-law. And so I just went up to her and I was like, Kim, I'm such a huge fan of the FBI and Robert. And she was like, she was like clearly very visibly uncomfortable because who the fuck would ever go up to her and say, I'm a fan of the foreign policy initiative makes zero (laughs) sense, complete zero sense. And then I was just like, can I interview you? And she was like, email me my assistant. And I was like, can I take a photo with you? I was just like trying to just make her feel as weird as as possible. And I think by the end of it, she knew who I was. She probably just immediately looked up my name because I didn't lie to her. I was like, my name's Abby. So it was just really funny. Um, But what else was I going to say? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just very, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I was just thinking of something funny that her, her husband, Fred Kagan, is an expert in Soviet military history and also Soviet propaganda. And he also speaks and reads Russian. So he damn well knows who you are. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no way in hell he's not like heard of you, you know? She probably was fucking freaked out. Yeah. Maybe he you. was with her. Maybe that's who she was with. <laughs> Well, I don't mean to insult him, but he looks like a less attractive version of Eric Wareheim. It's kind of smaller and more, a little bit more ballooned up. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Carl a Rove mixed up. with Eric Wareheim. A little bit puffed up. Yeah. Definite um, DC puff. Puff boy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot you could say about Russia today, but I think that what's so funny about this whole thing is A, Liz has embodied everything that she was decrying that the conspiracy theorists were accusing her of being B it's never been more obvious that the U S state department is just clearly threatened by another media outlet that undermines their propaganda. And it's just really hilarious. I mean, it's just so sad the measures that they're going and how desperate they are. We've said this time and again, but they could easily just ignore Russia today, but instead they're, they're holding these giant hearings, likening them to ISIS and Boko Haram. They're just getting people to watch the network. And it's so pathetic because once again, you cannot delegitimize coverage of war crimes and like U.S. criminality and corruption. Of course, you can look at the coverage of Russia and be like, yeah, that's pro-Russia talking points. But you cannot call just straight up coverage of facts propaganda just because it exposes U.S. crimes. SARS. Of course not. And that's and that's also what Liz Wall was doing. She right. was acting like she was conflating the two. So the idea that Russia today would talk so much about Occupy or talk so much about Manning, that's stuff that's existing in America that is not being exploited by our mainstream media. Right. Therefore, so there's a void to fill. There and they're filling that void. Right. And and they and they did a really good job of that. And 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 so I think that's interesting that Liz Wall conflates that idea of that with just this idea of like disinformation spread about things Russia's involved in, like Ukraine Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, or other mm -hmm. things. Exactly. It's completely, it just clouds the whole thing up. And I don't know if that was intentional on her part or if she just doesn't understand that there's a very big difference between the two. I mean, I mean, the thing is like America does have a lot of problems and the media here is very, like for some reason or another just all in lockstep (laughs) most of the time about a lot of this shit and they don't cover things honestly so i'm sorry but if you got enough money you know like do something like there's a void to fill there 
you right. know, like launch a TV channel and have coverage that fills that void. Um, so there's a problem. That's a problem with America, not Russia. Right. Exactly. That's the, that's exactly. the problem. Exactly. We and have a fucking so, problem if so it's that easy to do. It's so minded that how do people not grasp that? I've been and so honest also, about this from the beginning. It's like, dude, you don't get that? And it's a Damn, total dude, distraction from the, for you. Total distraction. It make It's just like finding another empire to say that empire is a bad empire. You know, so it doesn't just seem like America is the bad, bad empire anymore. Just like it doesn't just seem like America is the one with the bad, bad, like propagandistic media model anymore. Because now it just makes us look at, oh, well, they're obviously worse or, you know, that's all propaganda. At least and the U.S. media is not state-owned or something weird like that, you know? It's like, well, it's actually weird because it's not state-owned, but they all say the same shit. Right. It's like, what's going on? <laughs> I would segue off of the Liz Wall thing. I mean, there are... We just talked about the proxy war in Syria, which is, you know, Russia's been funding Assad for deep. The U.S. has been funding these crazy privatized CIA like jihadists on the ground and the only way that they can vet them is giving them like a test or they just flood them with fucking arms okay great that's really gonna work out really well awesome job so then there's already a proxy war going on we are fighting Russia in Syria done then the other situation happens in Ukraine which is probably the if not the second most convoluted confusing issue once again because of this impending if not already full-scale proxy war going on between the u.s and russia so you have like dueling media not propaganda but like counter talking points that also flood the confusion or you know propagate confusion and so the proxy war is the u.s just voting congress just voted to fund um, the ukrainian government with lethal aid and we already know that Russia's been funding these rebels there in eastern Ukraine. Do you want to talk about this Ukraine lethal aid vote? Yeah. I mean, it's it's really depressing. It's hard to really talk about without just getting really depressed because the House voted 30, uh, th- 348 to 48 in favor of arming Ukraine with military weapons. And there were literally only... And you would think, oh... You know, that's that sounds really bipartisan. And it was for the most part, but seventeen Republicans voted against the bill. Um two Democrats voted against it. Only two Democrats. Um Alan Grayson and Beto O'Rourke. I've never heard of them. But I thought it was interesting that even Barbara Lee, you know, and nobody else voted no on the Democratic side. So that's really depressing. Because that basically means that we basically be going into the scenario that Alan Moore set the Watchmen uh, in, the time period that Alan Moore set the Watchmen in, that basically was he was foreseeing the end of the world, which was the Soviet Union and the United States fighting a proxy war in Afghanistan. That's a whole other rabbit hole. I don't even want to go into that, but it's fucking, it's really depressing. And going back to the foreign policy initiative, all the people who spoke on the House floor, almost all of them have also gone and spoken at the Foreign Policy Initiative. Elliot Engel, Ed Royce, the guy who put together the hearing that Liz Wall testified at, Brad Sherman, uh, Leanna Ross Lieutenant, I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name, from Florida. Um, And they were literally quoting Robert Kagan on the floor. And it it just blows my mind that this is just... It's like the neocons have crossed 
the influence is so large that they've just crossed across party lines. This is just no big deal for these people. And they're acting like they're mad at the, you know, the Obama administration for dragging their feet on this. Like, do, do they not realize what this could potentially mean? I just don't understand. It's just where the disconnect just seems so extreme in this scenario to me. It's just so amazing that all every, like even Joe Rogan, when I did the podcast with him, you know, he's, he was rightly talking about Russia's military incursion in Ukraine, but had no knowledge of the NATO role. And no one seems to think it's a little bit strange that the U.S. would fund the Ukrainian government with lethal aid. And I'm sorry, but there has been horrific atrocities committed by these so-called, like, government officials in Ukraine. The Odessa trade, like that massacre that happened in the trade union tower or whatever, when these people were, like, burned alive. It was like a mini 9-11. No, it Um, was like... And then, and then you have like the Guardian basically like like publishing these reports about like neo Nazis who are fighting as if that they should be glorified. And it's like, I'm sorry, did Nazism become okay now because it's like more toward fascism? Like, is that like, are you guys just like going along with this because it fits the broader grand chessboard or what? Because this is fucked up, man. It is fucked up. And that guy Peter Pomerostov, what's so clever about him is he he goes on this really long rant about how Russia is constantly doing what are called phase one operations where they're spreading propaganda to like increase hostilities and inner tensions in all these different countries that border them so that they'll like be able to create a situation there where the, maybe the government might be more loyal to Russia at a certain point or something. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what the United States is doing in so many more countries than Russia is probably doing this in. I mean, even if they're doing it at all. I mean, the way he talks about it, you could replace Russia with the United States with everything he says, and it applies so much more. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, there's a video of a Ukrainian parliament member um, three or four months before the, the Euromaidan um, protests really all came to a head, talking about how there's an NGO being ran out of the U.S. embassy by Jeffrey Pyatt called Tech Camp. Sounds like a fucking like Silicon Valley company or something mm-hmm. that are that is purposely fostering and fomenting um, like inner tension and trying to get people to rise up against the government. I mean that, and so the fact that this guy Peter Promorostov is going around saying that Russia is doing this in all these places when we're the ones who are really doing it, probably to the highest degree mm-hmm. out of any country. We just sophisticated we, the way that we do it really well. Yeah, well, the way, I mean, it's not even sophisticated. It's just like we blame the other side first. You know, it's like we we blame Russia immediately. And then everybody's just like, oh, well, yeah, Russia's like really doing all this propaganda. You know, but I mean, it's really the U.S. is if, if is equally, if not way more responsible. I mean, equally is completely inaccurate. That we, ha- we have our finger in so many fucking pies. All these countries that we're trying to do this in all the time. Right. It's it's surreal. I mean, and that's what Mark Ames was saying that about the countries that already have corruption, you just sort of increase, you just turn up the dial on that. You bring a lot of exposure to that. That's one model they use. U.S. will go and just start, you know, um, having Radio Free Europe piping all this stuff into their country in their that country's native language about how corrupt their government is for months and months and months and months until it just creates that tipping point that they need. I mean, just that alone is really powerful. Right. So it's, 
and they're, but they're doing it in all different ways. They're doing it with private companies. You know, they're doing it with all these weird nonprofit organizations and stuff that are all coalescing at once with the capitalist sort of oligarch establishment, a lot of them in the United States with the U.S. government and NATO and all this shit. It's just such a weird, it is very weird. It is insane. <laughs> it is fucking insane. Um, um, what else were we going to talk about? Um, you wanted to talk about Gary Webb. Oh yeah. I mean, we don't really have to talk about that. Cause I, I mean, you didn't see the movie. Mm-hmm. I should probably actually get going pretty okay. soon. But. Well, it was a great, um, conversation. Um, we are, we're revising everything on the website right now. The donation tab should be changed. I'm so sorry if anyone's had trouble donating to us um please try again it should be very more clear and and right up at the top added as a tab on the page so um please you know donate to us and and we really appreciate all of your support and we're really trying to bust out as many podcasts as we possibly can we have about four in the tubes and boxes right now ready to come out there and um we're just getting insights from a lot of great people i just did a great podcast about the congo and the international aspect of how that relates to the military industrial complex and all that stuff. So really great stuff coming up. You have a great one with Mark Ames coming out. So stay tuned, everyone. We're going to try to bust these out as much as possible and keep fighting. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Media Roots Radio. This podcast is the product of many long hours of hard work and love. If you want to encourage our voice, please consider supporting us as we continue to speak from outside party lines. Even the smallest donations help us with operating costs. If you do want to donate, please give a shout out to Media Roots Radio in the information line so my brother and I can thank you the next time we do a podcast. Thanks so much.